I don't, yeah. This movie, like, so overwhelming. I don't really have a bit. <laughs> it is like, it's two and a half hours, and it's just, it's so, it's epic in scope. It's an epic film. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think you expected it. Like, I think like all indication was going to be this was going to be like a 105 minute you know, perfectly fine movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the thing too is like the first act is like 51 minutes long. That's when the action starts. Like that's when, you know, things happen in the plot is at the 51. And I didn't realize number one, that it would take that long for things to like, you know, escalate. And number two, I didn't realize I'd be fine with that. How necessary it actually is to the story we'll get into it hello and welcome to the award-winning podcast the academy academy the show that discovers the absolute undeniable and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career i'm don saunderson i'm patrick gremion welcome to the academy and this week we are let's let's just call it like it is we are on fire this oh, week man we are talking about the 2004 action thriller man on fire directed by tony scott Released April 23rd, 2004 in the United States. Let's get into it. Man on Fire is currently streaming on the People's Streaming Service, Tubi. I watched it there. Yeah. There were commercials. Yeah. If Tubi said, give me 10 bucks a month to eliminate commercials, gladly hand over my debit card. Same. Tubi Tubi slaps. Their selection <laughs> slaps. It's impeccable. It's so yeah. good. They they are the best. Also, what I just wanted. I'm curious about what commercials you got. I got like so many. Like, uh, I got like a lot of like wellness. Like there was one for brown noise that was like this is a comforting sound. Here's the comforting excellent, sound app. Excellent question, Patrick. And we should we should notate our commercials that we get each time out on TV going <laughs> forward. So I got teased. The first oh. commercial break, I got told that Metallica tickets were going on sale. And boy, they were just aiming right at Dawn right there, aren't they? <laughs> That's scary. I don't know about it. They, they, they know, Tubi knows you. And then I was like, wow, cool. But then we got an onslaught of pharmaceuticals. Ooh. Which is not as... Torn stomach could be a... Torn stomach could be a possible like side effect. What? <laughs> Maybe that's a side effect of going to a wait. So the what's the pharmaceutical for? Is it just like a? No, it was. I think it was for. Um, I think it was for colon health or colon cancer health. Um, no, but no, you need your. I feel like a, a torn stomach wouldn't be conducive to no, that. that though? Like I think I mean this is like a Jerry Seinfeld bit, but it's like you ever notice like the these pharmaceuticals? It's like okay, so it like helps you with the sniffles but then causes brain cancer yeah like Like, the side effects are sound horrifying it's like oh you're going to be like i will no longer have a sore throat but i will be bleeding out of every other orifice like regularly 
in my yeah. body. <laughs> like, your depression will be cured, but you will need dialysis treatment for the rest of your life. <laughs> your kidneys will immediately <laughs> shut down. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> you have uh, dog kidneys now. They're not going to yeah. work properly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're great on dogs. <laughs> Good news, you will sleep through the night. Bad news, the opposite the opposite gender will never talk to you again. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, how, how can you do that scientifically? That is easy. Not se- not even sexually. It just this is like the way it is. It's like no, yeah, it, or whatever. You're like, you you release a pheromone in the Yeah, and it's like, no, get the fuck away from me. What? <laughs> Spooky. But, get away. But I get 8.5 hours of sleep without having to get up to use the bathroom. Uh, oh, the ups yeah. and downs. Yep, up that's and down, two, give or take. For you. Um, weird times <laughs> of commercial breaks, too. It's like... Oh, God, yeah. It'll yeah. be like a very pivotal scene. Yeah. And then it's like, uh, the Incredibles want you to wear a mask. Yeah, oh, <laughs> we got that one. We absolutely got that every single time was the Incredibles <laughs> telling us to wear masks. That was... We did get... So- we also got that ad. So funny because it's like this feels like an ad from like two years ago or so. Like it was a very like mid-pandemic or pre yeah. or early pandemic style ad. But uh... so, but I only got the metallic ad once, mm. like right at the top, and then it was gone. And I was like, you know, I would have survived all the pharmaceutical ads if you had teased Metallica each commercial <laughs> break for me. That would have kept me going. But it also gave me an opportunity to like check in on the baby. Oh, that's I kind of think these commercial breaks like or get another cup of coffee. So actually not that bad. Um, also on. Uh, oh, I wanted to mention too, back in the early days of DVD and even Laserdisc, the inopportune Ooh. moments of having to flip the disc. Oh, and my yeah. favorite of all time is on Goodfellas. You flip the disc right after Joe Pesci shoots Spider Christopher, <laughs> Christopher from the Sopranos, Michael Imperioli. Like, what a weird spot to flip this disc. I yeah, think, like, I the, mean, the Boogie Nights one was like right after William H. Macy shoots himself, like going to the 80s. Like, oh that God. was actually kind of the right time to flip the disc. Yeah, that's like a good, that's a good moment to flip the disc. I'm trying to remember, like, if I had any uh disc flippers. I feel like I had definitely had two sided discs, but I feel yeah. like the two sided discs I had were like special features on the other side. Yeah, no, they used to be like they would split the movie, which was Ooh. kind of. But in like Laserdisc days, like the Goodfellas laser was a two laser disc set, but it was like on four sides. Oh my god! It it's... was like it was like a double album on vinyl or something like that. Yeah, it's like oh my goodness. The funny thing seven. is, like Laserdisc actually, like if you watch them, they actually like cast capture like the color the aspect ratio pretty well, but mm. you also had to get up all the time. Ooh. I'm bummed. Like I used to have a Laserdisc player in the early 2000s and I had a collection of lasers and I got rid of it before I moved to California and then my buddy of previous guest Jesse Gant he was like because this is like the final frontier clearly he was like you still got that laser disc player we could figure out something there too and I was like ah, I'm so bummed I got rid of that I got Man. rid of my videos too before I moved down and now I'm collecting videos again I would have had everything I would have had so many cool videos we still have all our videos in sl- in storage. I think like we have so many. Uh, we have a lot of. I, I want to go through those next time I go back home. Gotta I'll see. Go gotta th- see what you got. I, I got some. Have, we got, we got some weird ones. Uh, we have uh, the gift by Sam Raimi. I remember oh, that wow. being the one. The one like one I've never watched, and I was like, "What's this movie about? What's the gift about? Is she psychic? Is that the gift?" 
very funny. They covered that on um, Eli Roth's History of Horror Show on AMC, oh. and he got Kate Blanchett to show up and do a talking head for his History of Horror Show because they did the house, the clock, and the walls <laughs> together, and somehow Eli Roth is friends with uh, Kate Blanchett. Oh my and... god, he seems personable, and I, I see it. I buy it. Yeah, he was like, yeah, we we Jen met him when she when we first moved down here at the new Bev, and he took a photo with her. I think that's like the thing with Eli is like even though he directs like freak stuff, he's like because I, I saw him, we saw him with um when X when we watched mm-hmm. X, he was the one interviewing Ty West, and he he comes off as a very normal man. Yeah, <laughs> I also feel though if you wrong Quentin Tarantino, Eli Roth is going to be the person who shows up to your house in the middle of the night to break your legs. <laughs> Bummed out. Ah, oh, this could have been Adam Sandler. Yeah, yeah, it's like gosh. <laughs> That would have been neat. Anyway, yeah, I mean, you're not bad. Don't get me wrong, but uh, Man of Fire can also be rented from all of the usual sites, and it's mm-hmm. also on Blu-ray. And I am, I've kind of taken a vow to slow down on buying things. I really want to hear Tony's commentary on this movie. I, I, I yeah, I almost uh, went to uh, the Cinematheque in the pouring rain to get the the Blu-ray just like because like supposedly the commentary is good. Yeah, I I think it's it's got to be. So I guess we can get into it real quick here because this will be our history of this film. Um, this was a first watch for me. I've heard, it has like it has gained a reputation over the last decade of like pretty esteemed in the Tony Scott catalog. Um, but I think when when it came out, it was like post Training Day, mm-hmm. and. He had won the Oscar, Denzel Washington we're speaking of, of course. And he did um, John Q, Antoine Fisher, and Out of Time. Antoine Fisher was a directorial debut for him, so that's fine. But John Q and Out of Time seem like very rote action thrillers. For sure. I thought, it's so funny, I got uh, Out of Time confused with Deja Vu, it turns out in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't realize that Out of Time is like, yeah, just like a generic, I think the director was like Carl Franklin? Who's a good director, who's a very yeah, good director. Very like, yeah, solid, like a journey, is Journeyman a right term for him? Um, or is he... I think he's, I think he was forced into Journeyman mm. status because of, obviously, Hollywood, oh. raci- Hollywood racism. Right, uh, right, right, because right. he made, um, you know, he started off acting mm-hmm. uh, in the seventies, and he but he made his directorial debut. He did some like canony kind of movies. He did a movie called Nowhere to Run, a thriller in nineteen eighty nine with David Carradine and Jason Priestley, which Ooh. I want to see. <laughs> um, That's not bad. I like ni- that. Ninety two, he made one of the great neo noir movies of the era in One False Move. Oh, he directed the one with Bill Paxton? The one with Bill Paxton, yes. Wow, that's really cool. (laughs) Yeah, really. If you all out there have not seen this one, this is a phenomenal, really dark Shades of Grey movie where, like, basically they're investigating this crime, Bill Paxton, like, that took place in L.A. And Billy Bob Thornton wrote it, and he's in it as the nastiest character <laughs> he goes on he's on the lamb from la from this like really gross murder sequence they end up in this small town the la cops end up there looking for him and bill paxton is this small town sheriff 
who gets like stars in his eyes about like like he's seen too many movies he wants to like get in the game himself like he wants to be a hot shot detective like these LA guys Oh, uh, no. he's in over his head he's got dark secrets and he's he shows himself to be like <sighs> casually racist Ooh. And all of these things start piling up, but he's also Bill Paxton. And mm-hmm. you kind of like, he's got a charm and you like him. But he's right. all of these elements. And so, like, when it gets to this, like the violent conclusion, when he has to confront his past and his kind of like deep seated, like where he's from and kind of like, mm-hmm. and he has to like be put in the position to actually save the day. Like, it's really like adds up to these elements of gray. That it makes it such a powerful movie. And so that is absolutely fantastic. And then Carl Franklin's next movie was with Denzel Washington, Devil in a Blue Dress, which is mm. really a really, really strong uh, 90s noir as well. Um, and he did that Meryl Streep movie, One True Thing, after Man. that. And he, but he's been unfortunately kind of, I mean, he works regularly. He did four Mind Hunters. You know, he he's oh, wow. a, you know, four leftovers. Um he's done a ton of TV. Dude, you know, goes really well on TV. Someone get him. Franklin a yeah, someone get Franklin it, a budget. I think in the same way, like that racism of like oh, you didn't quite hit those marks that I think the great Ernest Dickerson has felt by being kind of moved to TV and didn't get a chance to like continue to make uh, films. Yeah, like Both these guys are like amazing genre directors who really should have gotten way more swings at the plate in um, cinema. Because yeah. they, oh, they sure. made like great, like One False Move and Devil in Blue Dress are fucking great movies. Like he, both like, of them. Yeah, I need to... Um... Good man. I was trying to think of like, is there a director with the last name Bash so we could do a Franklin and Bash miniseries? No. <laughs> like I'm trying to, because like, yeah, he'd be a it's, guy. That's uh, boy, Patrick. I love the way you're thinking. I love that mindset. I love that pun mindset that you got going. You gotta, there. <laughs> you gotta have a pun. You gotta have a fun. You gotta have a fun pun. A fun plan words. Strong mindset. <laughs> Um, Carl Franklin's really, really strong though, and if you haven't seen those two movies, but I think at the time I wasn't as I wasn't as literate movie wise mm. in two thousand two. I was just like, man, I was in that like hardcore like, give me those Godards, give me those Truffauts. I'm yes. I, this is these are real movies, folks. I don't watch these uh, American pot boilers. But the thing is, what you learn as you get older is that like we were just talking about before we got on. You need the avatars. You need the tars. Yeah. And if you can combine those in your life, you're a true. You've got true movie mindset. You've got the true movies in your heart. You're 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 swinging for the stars. Yeah. If you could, that... if you could enjoy both the all styles. You gotta have movies. it all. Yeah, you, you can't gotta have be... it all. Yeah, you can't just be a you know a uh, uh, last uh, last week in Mary and bad. Uh, is it last week at Marion Bad? Yeah, that is. But you should be able to say to yourself, "What a masterpiece!" Last week at Marion Bad is. What a masterpiece, Maniac Cop Two. Yes, <laughs> you need that yin and yang, and then yeah, when you get absolutely. that, you open your third eye. Your cinematic Which kind of third is eye. a great way to get into opening your eyes <laughs> to things with Man on Fire. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I kind of like. I was very elitist. I'll mm. be honest. So I missed it. In the time. Mm. 
Then, you know, years pass, we lose Tony Scott, sadly. But you also start to like say, like, oh, these like Denzel Washington crime movie and action movies are actually like ultra entertaining. Tony mm-hmm. Scott was fucking brilliant. I mean, this call comes like kind of coalesces with the movie Unstoppable, their final collaboration, Tony's last film, where you're like, oh my God, this is so good. Mm-hmm. And it's so well done in its area. But I was an elitist and I missed it up until this grading. And I fully like, you know, I apologize because I was. Yeah. I'm elitist about this. <laughs> you, said you, you said your grandparents love this one, though. My grandpa like loves this movie for some reason. He, I feel like he watched this a lot uh, back when he had like direct TV, uh, like back when he lived in the country or whatever. And I think like I don't know if I why I feel like my grandpa vibes with uh, Denzel a little bit in this movie. I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe and maybe it's like a. There's a, there is like a dad film energy to this. It's like I think a, that there is kind of there is that whole. Oh man, if I was in that situation, no. Oh. Jen said it while we were watching. Yeah, she was yeah, like, we... "Yo, if that happened to me, you know." Oh, uh, it was well, like, like... ripping off faces. Oh, for sure. Well, we all become Mark Wahlberg in nine eleven a little bit. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, a little think, bit. We all yeah, have that in us. I think you put yourself in the. Um... Without recognizing that the otherworldly nature of Creasy, like that there's something demon. there, yeah, there's something that is going far beyond the average man with John Creasy in this movie that it goes to the supernatural in a way. Yeah, that is see, that's the key. Like, what rules about this fucking movie is it's like almost like the movie I kept thinking about watching it. Um, was uh, the Lee Marvin movie Point Blank? Yeah, where it's Good like, call. yeah, Good Denzel call. Washington. Yeah. He isn't even like a um, he's a character. Don't get me wrong, but there's a point where he goes from being like a guy to like a supernatural force, like yeah. an unstoppable the, energy. The mission goes beyond any realism to taking yeah. it, and the like driving force of accomplishing <laughs> said goal is beyond. Like you, you know, watch Point Blank. You're like. Really? Just for this like handful of cash? Like any of these guys would pay you off at any time to stop you yeah. from doing this. <laughs> like and this one I think it's like because they make it very clear up until like the final twist, it's like he's just out for blood because there's no real end game goal. And they even offer him cash and everything like that to stop. And until the final twist, when we find out actually there is a emotional endgame goal, and we'll get into, we're gonna spoil it. We're gonna spoil mm-hmm. this one today. I think we we I think we held off pretty well on some of the other ones recently, but we're gonna spoil this one. Oh, we got to. Today. It's a, because yeah. like talking about because the climax is worth talking about in this mm-hmm. movie. And uh, but I you would, had never you had never seen it before. Not at all. I've okay. never seen it. Yes, it was it was very nice going into because like. You know, there is like a part of me too that's like I was like a little uh, nervous about this movie. I was afraid of not liking it because um, the the you watch the intro like the first like that like that um, intro sequence. It's very like um, it kind of reminds me of the fan, uh, like the weirder like the or like the David Fincher uh, parody of not parody, like the parts but of um, the kind of the riffing on the credit sequences and kind of his more like yeah. I think in essence, though, it's like the helicopter conversation in mm-hmm. Spy Game, 
taken to Ooh. two and a half hours in length, almost. Yeah. So, but it like yeah, but it works. It, it, it yeah, I can't wait to talk about it. So basically, where Tony was at, we were coming off of Spy Game, and very successful. He's also though like he's had some. He just had kids. He's like mm-hmm. he's reached this point where he's. But he's also you know in his late fifties. He's accomplished a lot. He's moved into producing, but I think he's as a human being. This and I think the overall theme I want to talk about that we can weave in and out and kind of really hit the nail on at the end of this episode is the idea of the personal film Mm. and who you are as a person. And is a personal film have to be straight biography? Is it like, does it have to be Armageddon time? Does it have to be the Fablemans? Does it have to be after sun or can you infiltrate your themes and what you're feeling in the moment within a genre spectacle Mm. like this? And I think you can. I think the I think we've kind of like it, the way a lot of people are trying to read films is a very A to A, A to B kind of way these days. And mm-hmm. I think that there is ways to say who you are in an A to C sense. Like Spielberg talks about it with the Fablemans. He's like, and people are even mentioning it now that they've seen the Fablemans. They're going back through Spielberg's catalog, and they're like, oh. It was always here. All of these themes were always here. And anyone who's like a Spielberg fan knew that. Knew that Close Encounters of the Third Kind oh. was about his parents' divorce. It was not about aliens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess like would that make would Richard Dreyfus be the mom? I that's a good question. I mean, I think that there's elements like that's what that's the A to C thing though. Right, right. Out, like what you're actually working out. Like E.T., like all of his movies are about like how in an almost Lynchian sense this American sentimentalism that he's presenting there are cracks and things beneath the surface, the imperfections Mm -hmm. what we are willing to accept within the American dream and and also survivor guilt is is throughout all of his films too. Like even something like Bridge of Spies, like Tom Hanks saves the day but he like walks that guy and like lets him go yeah it is well and it's like it's it's interesting i read something about how uh, i can't remember who brought this up but like a lot of his films seem to be like about like control Mm -hmm. as well and like um people doing the right thing taking the reins like you look at like lincoln you look at amistad you look at uh yeah and it's uh i think you really uh, made a good point. I think it, it was, I guess the question is like, is it, I feel like when you make something like a movie, like unless you're really under like a tight leash to, you know, follow a strict set of criteria or whatnot, it feels inevitable that you're going to leech some part of your, like a bit of your soul will uh, end up on the screen. And like you're, when you're, you're a, and when you're a director who's guiding the, and director or producer who's, director producer who's guiding the project all the Mm -hmm. way through from inception to release that's like a good let's say two minimum two years of your life in which you're putting every inch of yourself into accomplishing this goal it'd be utterly impossible yeah not to like unless you're like really half-assing it and it is truly work for hire 
which I don't think it is for any of these major directors. Whether no, it's whether you're talking to Tony Scott or Quentin Tarantino or Sofia Coppola or down the line, you name it, any of them, like, well, uh, they're impossible. playing, yeah, they're playing, they're playing for real at this point. It's like, yeah, Quentin Tarantino isn't phoning it in when he gets a shot to make a movie. <laughs> like, no, yeah. no, and you can't. And I would think that that would be a real like, I that would be like one of the few things that can make me not respect you, is if you got the shot, got the swing at the plate, you're just, like, fucked around. Ooh. Evil. That yeah, some things yeah. don't work out. There are personalities. I mean, Last Boy Scout was a mess. Mm-hmm. It, they've got it over the finish line, and it's an infinitely watchable movie, but, like, sometimes things don't work out, and you don't have the... And I think that that's, like, the thing about Man on Fire is I think he's... The clarity of vision, the clarity of mm-hmm. tone, the clarity of style is there in this one. Yeah. It feels fully formed. It's a yeah. fully formed film, which is like really, it's nice. I feel, I feel, it feels like this iteration of Tony Scott has been a long time coming. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it feels like we finally, this He's is there. like the, yeah. Yeah. We're at pure aesthetic era. Let's go. I'm excited yeah. oh. for like, yeah. <laughs> I know. That was like, I like got up and I was like, let's go, man. Give me Domino like now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like when uh, when the flamenco music started to turn into like Nine Inch Nails music. I was like, yeah, Turn, turned into like Gladiator music. Yes, like <laughs> the, 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 the least Gerard music returned. I was like, yeah, I know. Hollering. It, it 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 yeah. It it feels like despite the fact I do think he's got like masterpieces before this one. This is where it all came to. This is where it's all coming together. Mm-hmm. Everything that he does is coming together here. So. Interesting thing about this story. Man on Fire is based on the novel Man on Fire by A.J. Quinnell. A.J. Quinnell is a pseudonym for a British guy named Philip Nicholson. Mm -hmm. And so he is a – was like a businessman, textiles man, you know, globetrotting, like successful guy. He is – so – as the story goes, on a flight um, between Tokyo and Hong Kong in the 1970s, an Italian man on board suffered a heart attack. The crew for the flight called for an ambulance, and Nicholson stepped in and suggested a different hospital that he was aware of due to his travels, and, and where they would receive immediate care. And the decision may have saved this Italian guy's life. He survived due to it. Wow. The Italian guy and Nicholson became buds naturally. Because like yeah, I, I, saved I, his I, life. Yeah, if someone <laughs> saved my life, I'd become your friend. Yeah. And he was a successful businessman, but he'd always kind of like in a way, like I think you see with like politicians who write like crime novels and shit like that. Like, why on earth does, like, Bill O'Reilly write, like, crime novels or, like... Oh, yeah. Bill Clinton wrote one with James Patterson. Like, it's a really weird... Oh, Gene Hackman wrote, like, weird Western novels. Like, Mm. it's it's a strange, like, desire for successful people. Like, Tom Hanks is putting out his second novel, like, shortly. (laughs) It's, it's it's, It's like a weird side thing that they... I don't know if they want to prove, like intellectual abilities or just kind of, I don't know what it is mm-hmm. like why they fall into like writing like airport novels a lot of these guys yeah uh, 
I mean, well, and it's like mostly you wonder, guys, mostly guys too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder, like behind the scenes, like how much, like, so yeah, like you said, Bill Clinton and James Patterson, and you and know James that like Patterson's ghostwriters. That's as I say. You yeah. know, James Patterson's not writing that shit. It's like yeah. some dude who just you know graduated from Vanderbilt University. <laughs> yeah, he needs, he needs a break. But yeah. it's really like it is interesting why this is so. Quinnell had always kind of harbored these like artsy dreams of writing a novel. Simultaneously in Italy in the 1970s, there was like a full scale crime wave that involved like a ton of kidnappings that he read up on. And he reached out to his Italian friend to say, hey, what do you know about this? And they started chatting and bringing it up. And this led to Quinnell kind of writing this, just writing a novel or mm-hmm. Nicholson writing a novel entitled Man on Fire that he published under a pseudonym of A.J. Quinnell, which I think he probably wanted to write anonymously to also maybe not get in the way of his um, like actual like high-level business trade. Right, right, right. It could be like, I could see writing something as, uh, uh, no pun intended, incendiary as... Uh... Man of Fire being a little like yeah maybe that doesn't flow when you're like when you're like an international businessman and that kind of thing like I don't know it's yeah and you know it's a little less classy than killing Lincoln or whatever there are a lot of uh, yeah a lot of elements there uh he ended up writing quite a few novels um including Mm -hmm. apparently there are five in the Creasy series oh that's cool um but this was set in Italy in the 70s at kind of the height of this international intrigue of kidnappings and crime and that kind of thing in Italy. If you're interested in this, um, this goes back to our Discoveries episode, a movie like The Italian Connection, which Jesse brought up as one of his discoveries of the year. There's an entire universe of 1970s Italian crime movies that cover in kind of seedier ways mm-hmm. the rise of the criminal underworld in the 1970s they're awesome check them yeah. out they're rad they're, they're totally, they rule they're incredibly entertaining there's an entire world of them they just a bunch just got added to the criterion channel people like them so much oh um, fuck yeah fernando de leo's collection crime collection i just watched caliber nine it was rad um anyway so tony scott actually got his hands on a copy of this book mm. or at the time of publication and really really liked it and thought it would make a really strong movie thing about it was Tony was still in his commercial days. He hadn't even made The Hunger yet when he read this. So he did not have the cachet in the Mm. biz to get it. He ended up making The Hunger and the mega producer Arnon Milchan, who held the rights to Man on Fire, he um, ended up getting the movie made in um, 1987. The original Man on Fire was directed by a French director named Illy. Oh, I'm sorry, Illy, if that's even how you pronounce your first name. Um, Choraki. Oh, wow. And the kind of came and went from the box office. It was a, you know, kind of fell in with the 80s action movies, like Lost Ages action movies. So mm-hmm. interesting thing on the casting here, playing the role of Christian Creasy. Mm is scott glenn i like that that's a weird i kind of like it too get this i like this even more playing the role of his best friend and fixer character who we'll talk about who plays him in man on fire 
who is also no no slouch himself in oh, providing yeah. wonderful things. Joe Pesci plays him. In oh, I so want to see that. I yeah, want to see this. Walken? Yeah, he plays uh, Christopher Walken's role. Uh, Jonathan oh Price God. plays the dad. Brooke right. Adams plays the mom. Danny Aiello <laughs> plays the Italian crime boss behind the kidnapping. This sounds fun. I want to. I, I I wanted to squeeze it in. I did not get a chance to. I still want to see it. I still want to yeah. see this movie. Different different vibe, uh, definitely. But it's a vibe I'm definitely open to. I Ab- like. I like. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's out on Blu-ray. It's out there. You can see it. Movie was a flop, but mm. naturally, it was favorited by one video store clerk in Manhattan Beach. Oh? I think you can guess who this video store clerk it's not in Roger the 1980s Avery. was. It's not. It may have been Roger Avery, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but it, it was. Quentin Tarantino is a fan of the original one. While working at the video store, there was many people who have who were just regular customers at the video archives who have gone on to being noteworthy figures in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. One of them was screenwriter Brian Helgeland. Hel- Helgeland, pardon, pardon me, Brian. Mm-hmm. Brian Helgeland. Uh, had worked at the time he was already working in Hollywood. He had done, he had written Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, and 967, 967 Evil. Um, so he was already in the game, uh, working his way up. Tarantino apparently recommended Man on Fire to him in the 80s on video, the original version of it, and he rented it, liked it, and then promptly kind of just put it in the back of his mind. Mm-hmm. Cut to the year, around the year 2000. Brian had become a major league Hollywood screenwriter. He wrote Assassins for Richard Donner with Stallone and Banderas. And then in 97, he adapted James Elroy's novel, Like Confidential. Ooh, yeah. Like Confidential, one of the great movies of the 1990s. He Brian won a Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for it. He's on the That'll map as a major league um Oh, this is very interesting as well. Major League writer writes conspiracy theory and the postman to varying degrees of success, then makes his directorial debut in 1999 with Payback, starring Mel Gibson, which brings us back based on the same novel as Point Blank. Wow. Wow. Where Mel Gibson (laughs) is playing the Lee Marvin role. So there you go. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that is like, yeah, we brought it back, folks. He then does writes and directs A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger, does writes blood work for Clint Eastwood, one of Clint's like decidedly lesser efforts. Mm-hmm. Then in 2003, writes for Clint Eastwood, Mystic River, which he's nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay once again. Mystic River is the movie that catches the eye to bring us back to forth of Tony Scott. Tony Scott has never forgotten Man on Fire. And neither has Arnon Milchin, who feels that there was a lost opportunity in the 80s because he still thinks his novel kicks ass and really could be something special. Mm-hmm. So, and Tony's never forgotten it. So they hook up and they're like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do another version of it. Meanwhile, Denzel Washington is bored. <laughs> the post-training day movies 
we begin to get this vibe that he might be kind of sleepwalking through. Yeah, he yeah, needs he a little a, bit of juice. He had a rough run for the early 2000s. Post-training day, yeah. And yeah. Tony comes to Denzel with this idea. Denzel had a great time, despite Tarantino's presence, working on Crimson Tide with Tony Scott. But everyone loves Tony. I think that that <laughs> is... Um, <laughs> a running theme that no like every actor seems to have had a good time with this guy like he's makes friends you know seem to make friends with ease mm-hmm. non-stop and an enjoyable cinematic uh and working experience so denzel is on board and it should be noted in the 80s that they considered both robert duvall and marlon brando for creasy when the, tony scott when it was tony scott's kind of dream project Oh, wow. Those are, like, interesting. I'm not, like, against that era. Like, Robert, that era, Robert Duvall would have been... I think It'd be so. very different, yeah. but it'd be I interesting. I think it would be very different, but I think he would have... like Kind of like the outfit or something like that, where he's doing a little more tough role. Yeah. So, we've got a team on board, and they bring in Brian Helligan to write the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they immediately come across, on their research, an issue. Um, nobody's kidnapping anybody in Italy anymore. <laughs> so they either raise the budget to make it a period piece mm-hmm. or they figure something else out. Um, oh, it also should be noted Arnon Milchin before he asked if Tony Scott was still interested, um, went to, to Academy Academy favorites, Michael Bay and Antoine Fuqua. Oh, man. Same thing. Mean, Five, yeah. there are seven. There are seven people in Hollywood, as yep. we've a uh, uh, running theme of yep. the show. I guess that they also considered um, Robert De Niro for Crazy in the modern, like a two thousand four Robert De Niro for Crazy. Which <laughs> sure, I mean a little, a little. He's he would have been better in the walk and roll, but I uh, think he's getting a little long in the tooth. Yeah, in my life for the walk and roll too. I'm just bringing him now. We're all over the place, but who cares? Willem Dafoe, I think. Oh man, would have been awesome. In the he, yeah, hey, I'll say he would have been good in the Creasy role. Oh, that would have been great. But then you got to get Abel Ferrara direct this movie. Yeah. Oh, dude, think how insane. Yeah, yeah man. Okay, another, another, anyway, another history. Boy, that's a, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> many timelines. Yeah, Tommaso. Tommaso. Anyway, um, <laughs> they basically said that. It had to be a period piece. Italy mm-hmm. no longer has this high kidnapping rate. But by 2004, um, Mexico City seemed to be leading the league in kidnappings mm-hmm. in, across globally. Tony Scott remained had a love in his heart, as we know from. <laughs> we laughed our asses off at that final thanks to the people of Mexico City, a beautiful place. At the end that yeah. they put up there because it was like, yeah, you just made it look like the worst place in the world. Yeah, <laughs> it's, you made it seem like a ring in Dante's Inferno, like a ring of hell. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like everyone is out to kidnap you um, type place. There are no good people. And the good cops are basically really open minded toward letting psychotic hitmen just go after everybody on their own. And we'll clean it up after you're done. Yeah, it'll be fine. You have that fun. Welcome to yeah. welcome to Mexico. Welcome yeah. to Mexico. Yeah, it so it's it's on the line. Yeah. Toward making Mexico look like another hellscape. 
sorry to the people of Mexico. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not. I've been to Mexico many times. It's a beautiful yeah. place. No, Uncle, you in a restaurant there. There are many, many, many portions of Mexico that Patrick and I can both vouch for that uh, yeah. are not crime-filled hellscapes. Yeah, yeah. I know. And it, yeah, and I think, like, I mean, part of it, too, is that just this is just the world of the movie. Like, yeah. And yeah. Yes, and I think you're right, like... Going back to the supernatural, we're in hell elements. That is what he's trying to evoke, get across, yeah. and evoke. And also, think, uh, to, and just he was—he had a great. He actually had a very genuine, sincere love for Mexico ever since shooting Revenge in Mexico. Mm. I will also say too, like the first like fifty minutes, like for the yep. most part, Mexico seems pretty nice and chill. Like everyone's it's about, happy. It's about like um, high level swim races. Yeah, exactly. Part. The the high octane world of middle school swim competition. Yeah, the high octane world of. The, you know what? Once you get in the water, it's not an issue, but it's getting off those blocks. You know. <laughs> anyway, so they go into. We got a good team here. We got a good idea. They decide to move the setting to not have it be a period piece. Although a period piece, period Italy crime picture would have been cool. Oh yeah, um, for sure. And now we got to fill out the rest of the cast, but it's coming together. It's coming together mm-hmm. relatively well. Fill out the rest of the cast. So, to tell you the brief elements of the story. Denzel Washington plays former CIA spook John Creasy. What a name. Jen kept saying, that's his name. <laughs> Greasy Creasy. Uh, or otherwise known as, I will never not, I will always think of Chris Walker going, Grease. <laughs> uh, Christopher Walken had some like great fucking lines in this movie, by the way. He, yeah, he, he rules so hard. I wish he was in every single movie, like every movie could find a spot. Like, you know how they're Photoshopping like Paddington or Leatherface <laughs> into every movie on Twitter? Yeah. Just put Christopher Walken in every movie. Yeah, I, I want. Like, I specifically... When is when does he down? When does he drop the level of quality in a movie? Never. He never no. does. He is only a net positive to yeah. a film. Uh, like in like I don't know like there were so many moments like there's that one moment where um Walken they're tired it's like the last time you see Walken in the movie probably is when they're at the hospital or something like that yeah and it's yeah. like Creasy's art is death and he's about to paint his masterpiece I did I fucking hooted and hollered that a, was a, so lo- a, lo- a loser a loser actor would blow that line Chris Walken makes it sing and like, <laughs> yeah, put that put that in the trailer. John Creasy is a burnt out CIA agent who seems to have killed many, many, many people. <laughs> a person. million people. A million people. <laughs> like, a, dark, a dark cloud haunts John Creasy. He has yeah. dropped into Mexico. He's got a beard, which know which lets you know he's not doing very well. Yep. And he's visiting his old friend. Paul Rayburn, played by the great Christopher Walken. Apparently, they did consider Marlon Brando again for this role, but Marlon was in too poor of health at this point. Thank goodness. Christopher Walken's perfect. I know we pitched Willem Dafoe. Chris is perfect. Chris is great. Now, on the flip side of things, well, Creasy has guilty conscience for everything that they've done. Rayburn does not seem to give one crap. He is married into Mexico. He's got a bevy of kids. He's having the time of his life. Still seemingly up to things. 
like uh, he's know. like oh you know, yeah no he's like pool, pools and burger parties in, in, well, yeah, in illicit he is, crimes he is not considering alcoholism and suicidal ideations he's just like wearing tank tops and having the light and drinking <laughs> cervezas and like having the time of his life no regrets for paul yeah plenty of regrets for crazy who doesn't know what he's doing rayburn has heard though that Wealthy businessman Samuel Ramos, played by singer Mark Anthony. Mm. At this point in his career, Mark Anthony um, was a superstar mm-hmm. in the world of music, but um, had just only dabbled in acting. I only knew him really like at this point. He was in Bringing Out the Dead. That's all and I he's knew. Very him memorable in Bringing Out the Dead. Yeah, and he, he I, looks very. It's a different character he portrays. Yeah, and I, but I think that's probably where they saw him and they knew he had the chops to kind of like take on a role that is as um, up and down as this character. Mm-hmm. He's an automaker. He's Boy, cars. Boy, you know, the mm-hmm. world of cars. It's tough. He, yeah. though, um, due to his wealth and due to his status in the industry, he and his family are targets mm-hmm. for kidnappings and ransoms which is going around. We are presented in the opening of the movie um, with a, during the opening credit sequence, basically a drawn out example of what happens when someone gets kidnapped in Mexico Mm -hmm. city, how the ransom works, how the payoff works, how nasty the kidnappers can get and so forth, which Mm kind of like Tony, like I, what I really like about this movie actually is how Tony like lays the groundwork in this first hour so that everything that follows when we're on the death spiral with crazy mm-hmm. we know the rules we know what he's gunning for we know the stakes and we know what he cares about in a really right. nice way in this first 50 minutes of the movie so um samuel ramos has a family he's married to uh lisa ramos an american expatriate from houston your your stomping mm-hmm. grounds yep houston Played- texas played by uh rada mitchell who i always like every time she shows up in movies i haven't seen her in a while but um solid solid actor it's uh she uh was kind of like in the b tier which is a bummer like yeah give her some more meteor roles yeah i mean and you know i think you know both jen and i called it out we kind of remember her most from the um strange woody allen movie melinda and melinda (laughs) you know both of us see, saw both of us saw the theater in two thousand four, rather I, than Man on Fire. <laughs> see, I remember, I remember her from uh, Pitch Black, the movie where uh, Vin Diesel plays a guy who has to wear special goggles to see. Again, yeah. this this goes back to where we were at between the years two thousand and two thousand four, as human beings. In <laughs> yes. my whole like, I'm wearing corduroy jackets and going to see Woody <laughs> Allen movies. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what's this Ooh, guy? From- yeah. This guy with these goggles seems interesting. <laughs> this so, magical goggle, she, man. She's she's actually really, really good in this movie, I think. And we kind of get to kind of why in just a bit here after we get through the plot line. And they have a daughter, uh, Lupita or Pita, played by the young Dakota Fanning. Mm. And in essence, Creasy, despite his alcoholism, despite his general like dark demeanor, is high is set up by Rayburn to be the new bodyguard for Dakota Fanning. Hmm. And at first, he's you know he's he, I mean, he 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 tries to shoot himself in the head, and his gun misfires. Like 
yeah the man on fire could have been over in 20 minutes it was it it is like crazy that it goes like that like far that extreme Mm -hmm. like it is like this thing where like at the first like for like the first maybe like you know 15 minutes of the movie he's drinking he's obviously glum they have that moment where they're like are we the bad guys and and Paul Rayburn's like, "Yep, we are. Yeah, we are. We... We're, we're not good. We're bad. Yeah. You either have to live with it, or you're, or, or you're going to be in trouble." Yeah, yeah. It, either the the stakes are grim from the start, but then Dakota Fanning's character, who is this, you know, very Dakota Fanning of this era, kind of precocious, mm-hmm. wise yeah. beyond her years, kind of child, starts to kind of like warm her way into through Creasy's hard exterior now in many other movies this has been a very cheesy thing we've seen this Mm -hmm. kind of thing before but in this movie oh and we mentioned like so basically she's got swim competition she's studying history and creasy kind of gets increasingly involved as like a tutor a coach Mm -hmm. taking her around her because her parents are weirdly busy yeah it is like it's so crazy that like did like do they both need to go to detroit (laughs) which should be kind of an indication of some of who they are um dad is busy because the car world is a mess uh mom is busy because she actually she really really loves her daughter but i think that there is this kind of like trophy wife party girl side to her that can't really let go which is really interesting because it doesn't it's it's not really a negative it's just a part of her personality yeah that is a very realistic thing Mm -hmm. and so creasy becomes increasingly involved in her Yet the young child's life and kind of helping her out and essentially becomes parent, teacher, guardian, coach, you name it to her. Yeah. And the level of chemistry between Denzel Washington and Dakota Fanning in this movie is astonishing. You buy absolutely every indi- every interaction that they have. And mm-hmm. you buy their burgeoning friendship and relationship completely and tony gives you 45 minutes of screen time to build this out that's the key they and like they the like yeah, yeah they let they let it like breathe they let it like it because there's like a, a chunk too where like denzel doesn't want anything to do with dakota fanning he's kind of like it you know it takes him like a good like it's like at the thirty-minute point when, like the the the, uh, the the shell finally starts to crack a little bit, and he's allowed to like, you know, feel things. He he allows himself to feel things again. And they do like amazing things, like they do that lunch scene with Chris Walken and his family, and Denzel brings Dakota Fanning, and yes. they're just like hanging out, like shooting the breeze, and it's <laughs> so probably funny. could have been cut from like any other movie. But they keep but it, it in. Builds like like human relationships. That's yeah. See, that's why this movie works is that they allow like they, you know, this could have easily been like a canon fill or like in a hundred minute like. Oh, this it's guy's a, a robot. It could have been tracked down. Yeah, a hundred percent. Could have been Rolling Thunder. Could have been any of those kind of movies. And there's nothing wrong with that. But or like, it's also... or like, kind of the, even the compromise in hardcore, like you know, like how hardcore has to become kind of an action movie, at the yeah. end of it. Despite Paul Schrader not really wanting it to go in that direction at all, but that's yeah. But, but that's like the that's the only way you can end it almost. Yeah, yeah. And this movie really finds, and does it in this really like 
casual way. And I think that the 146 minute runtime is a little daunting. You're like kind of surprised that it's 146. I texted Patrick. I'm like, this movie's like two and a half hours long. Yeah, because I was like, I was going to try to watch it with the commentary. And then I was like, oh, man, it's like, you got to watch it first. I think just you <laughs> save the time just to watch it, 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 it you know, fresh. <laughs> yeah. And so but it builds and you're like, you know, the threat they've introduced the start of kidnapping. You kind of get the, and you know, crazy's history. So, you know, as a movie watcher. Mm-hmm. Something's gonna happen. Poor Dakota probably is gonna be kidnapped mm-hmm. at some point. That is kind of you know, the, but because you care and you see it in Denzel Washington's face that he cares. That he, this is a person. He has been. He is. He has lived such a nasty life, mm-hmm. and he finally has found some level of humanity. And they're bringing up all these Catholic elements of guilt and. Like it's very like it has all of that happening in it. We should note there is a absolutely bizarre sequence in which Mark Anthony reveals he has like practically an entire Catholic cathedral in their house and with like a eight hundred candles burning. At, is, yeah, at, at, all times, at all times. But at the same time, he's very open minded to his wife completely stripping down and having sex in front of all of it. Too <laughs> bizarre. I think it's Tony just can't like, and I like this in directors. He just can't help himself. He, yeah, like, he, sorry, he's got to yeah. do it. He is and, like definitely one of those guys that has to like, yeah, he, he has to put all the, all the fixings on the burger. He can't just leave <laughs> it. <laughs> it's my favorite part. Like Tarantino, I think I've mentioned before in Django Unchained. Mm-hmm. And we're going to spoil Django Unchained here. Sorry, folks. Oh, um, no. When when Christoph Waltz shoots DiCaprio mm. at the end of it, and he looks basically looks at the camera, he goes, I'm sorry, I just couldn't help myself. And it's like, <laughs> that's Tarantino, the screenwriter, being like, sorry. Like, the, this is fun, my bad. Could have gone in another direction, but I... It's the same thing, like, at the end of Bastards, when Brad Pitt carves the swastika into Christoph Waltz's head, and he goes, I think I just made my masterpiece. That's the screenwriter, t- like... He can't even help himself. He's like, I did it. I did so yeah. well here. <laughs> you got to scratch that itch, brother. And yeah, and it's just, you know, same with all of our favorite directors. Hmm. Like, even like, I'm sure Hong Sang Su is like, man, another scene where a dope drinks too much soju and <laughs> purposely emasculates himself. Oh, wait, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's, it's, it's what's singing to me right now. <laughs> yeah. So. Back to so the story goes, kind of leads up to this amazing shootout sequence when the kidnap finally goes down. Creasy mm-hmm. is hit, seemingly fatally, a couple of times in the chest, like yeah, hard, like center chest gunshot wounds. It is crazy. It is like this. Any other person would be dead. This these are which kind of leads you to this supernatural feeling that he is like this angel of death character looking for one last moment of redemption. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. You know that he's he knows he is a sinner. He knows he is doomed. He knows that he does not deserve to live. Basically. Well, and it's like there he has this one innocent in his entire universe that he can possibly help. Well, it's like to bring it back to when he like you know uh, almost killed himself. was it what is it that Christopher Walken says? Like, you know, bullets have a purpose. Something yeah. I found very hackneyed in the moment. I was like, you know, bullets don't have a purpose. Wait, but then like when you say that, it's like, oh yeah, no, it's like 
he realizes in this moment his only reason to be on Earth now, the only reason he survived getting, you know, survived the initial attempt, the only reason he survived two bullets to the chest is because he has to save this little girl. Yeah, he has to save this little girl, like, no matter what. Yeah. And it also gets me think of, like, the kind of operatic nature of this movie that Ridley tried for Hannibal and... Oh, totally. And I, like, face-planted a bit. Oh, speaking... (laughs) Sorry, we're getting some facial expressions on the Zoom. Um, (laughs) But, like, that Tony, like, because his complete, like, almost identification, and I don't know what's going on in Tony's world, to get back Mm -hmm. to the personal life aspect of it. Does Tony Scott feel like he has skeletons in the closet in a, like, lesser nature here that connects him with Creasy? I don't know. Does the fact that Tony Scott now has young kids change his thought process? I think, yeah, I think it's like it's there's something so primordial and like at the end of the day, like, you know, if your kid gets taken or, yeah, you know, whatever you're Jen, yeah, who's, he, Jen, who's trying to derail our podcast with facial expressions in the background, <laughs> was right that she she would be slitting throats all over the place if something like this happened to our kid. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, like, uh, yeah, you're putting C four up butts. That's, that's so. C- yeah, you're putting C four up butts. Bottom line. <laughs> but somehow, she's kidnapped. Creasy survives. Somehow, he's in the yeah. hospital. He's blamed. Blamed. He's being thrown on a bus for the entire damn thing. Uh, Despite no, the no. fact we learned very quick, there are many dirty cops who are on the scene who are all all part of the kidnapping. Yeah. And thus we're intru- we're introduced to a few other supporting characters here. Giancarlo Gianni returns, <sighs> rises from Hannibal to world of Hannibal to play another not so great cop. No, but, but in like, this kind of situation, he's just like, you know what? You can handle it, Crazy. I don't really want to. I'll clean up the mess when I'm you're just done. Gonna- I'm gonna eat these pastries. I just want to eat these. I'm delicious- gonna eat pastry and grab asses. He's an yeah. ass grabber. Not again. I, I want. It's so funny. Like he's like not a good person in this, but he at least has like a joie. I feel like it was refreshing seeing him play someone with a personality in this compared to Hannibal, where like his whole thing was like moping and being on the computer. <laughs> Which I already yeah. get enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they already yeah, get enough of that in I my real life. Been- I think that the care key to Giancarlo Gianni is don't make him a married man. If you make yeah. him being able to play this, to play the field a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Because Tony, quote, said simply about this character, Giancarlo loves women, as did this character. <laughs> grief. That's Good funny. grief. Yeah. Oh, brother. Yeah, yeah, he's just grabbing the ass of um, the... Uh, Rachel Tacotton? Rachel Tacotton, who plays Marina Garcia Guerrero, report uh Crusading Reporter. Yeah. Reporter. That's she... that's her that's her character is Crusading Reporter, who knows that there's corruption, knows that there's all sorts of that these kidnappers are working with the cops. They're working with the figures of power, and I'm gonna break this. I'm gonna break it up. I, I do love the name of the syndicate. La Hermanadad. Oh, it's very good. It's very good. So, Gracie is B 
being moved around. He gets moved, put in a veterinary hospital or something like that by Christopher Walken <laughs> to hide him from the dirty cops who just want to take him out. As he semi-recovers, there's a part where Creasy goes, I'm going to go Walken goes, Chris, Chris, you're going to bleed out in 24 hours if you don't get help. <laughs> that's, that's, I think it's like, you know, we've had some conversations about, um, you know, one of the movies that might be on our uh, top 10 on our top 10 lists uh, in the future about how one, a certain character may or may not be, you know, around mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe there's a Washington's just a ghost at this point. Maybe like, who knows? Right. That's a, yeah. Oh, and a kind of an opposite tar where it's a rise rather than a fall, <laughs> like a redemption rather than. Yeah. He, it's like a, the crow. <laughs> yeah. More of a crow situation. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. What Good a tar about the crow. Thank you. We'll, we'll cover the crow someday, guaranteed. Well, we got to, we got yeah, to. The crow is clearly in the. Prius, Prius is worth the. Uh, he's good an director. interesting director. He's a good yeah. director, and oh, the crow soundtrack brings me back. <laughs> oh, Jed just sent me a um, combination of Paul Giamatti in San Andreas with Christopher Walken. <laughs> this crease <laughs> is gonna break. <laughs> We gotta leave. <laughs> oh, we gotta live. Uh, so the cops though are helping the Ramos family. They're gonna make the drop. And we saw how the money trade goes in the opening credits of this movie to save somebody. Mm-hmm. It goes horribly wrong. Everybody get like, like there's a shootout. It goes terrible. Yeah. <laughs> the kidnapper gives them a call and says, "My was his brother, his cousin, his like favorite mm-hmm. cousin or something like that." was killed in this shootout. Sorry, Dakota's dead. Oh, my God. I looked at Jen, and Jen's like, really? And I was like, I don't think they can kill a kid. I That'd be... They can kill this little kid. I just don't... Yeah. Despite all of it. like, And we get another hour or so where we are basically told she is dead. Yeah. And But I don't think... Did you buy... I didn't... Like, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't like... <laughs> yeah. That would be I, so I, unsatisfying. <laughs> well, I think the thing too is like it's dakota fanning they're not gonna kill like this little they girl do, like they they could do that in a movie like hardcore or track down or something like that like a 70s mm-hmm. kind of movie you can't by 2004 you can't you cannot kill this yeah cute little kid Especially, <laughs> like i think the thing too is like it happens so early i think that was like the main like had it like you know, happened in like the last like twenty minutes, and then there was mm. some big crescendo moment or whatever. Maybe I would have believed, but like, no way, they're not getting rid of Dakota Fanning yeah. in like fifty minutes into the movie. No, but it's yeah. all all is lost. It's terrible. So Creasy mm. goes back to the Ramos house to gather his somehow gather his stuff, even though we know he, he's like he's been shot to hell, man. Yeah, like, he's not in great shape, and they do this like crazy swimming pool montage a couple times where he dives into a swimming pool to kind of i don't know if it's like a baptism kind of thing is that what the symbolism is maybe but he's like bleeding everywhere like when he goes in the water he's like dying like as like it is wild and it's so like um like it becomes like a vibe this movie oh man it's like yeah it's like a 
It is a bloody aesthetic that permeates the rest of this film. This segment, it goes from, yeah, the, the as the humanity kind of uh, ekes out of Creasy and in his increasingly, like, harried attempts to get revenge. Yeah, and so basically he runs into Lisa, and, he, and I love Denzel's, like, matter-of-fact nature from this mm-hmm. point on. There's no negotiations. There are no compromises. He's simply going to kill everyone involved. He is truly an unstoppable force. It is yeah. like, and there's no quarter. It is like, it is, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and it's like, he, he's found his purpose. His purpose is finding yes. this person at oh, all costs. His, his like weird saint of like, what is like that like character in the preacher comics? The saint, saint of, of killers. killers. He, yeah. Oh my. Yeah, he is saint of killers. And, is... They, and the preacher comics still have that incredible, difficult relationship with Catholicism. This movie seems to have. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you can, yeah, you can definitely tell. Uh, this preacher was written by a bitter Irishman. <laughs> It's like yes. one thing that, despite it being a movie per a comic primarily set in uh, rural Texas, yeah. 100% written by the world's most bitter Irishman. Yes, who did not like whatever Catholic school he was sent to in Ireland in the 70s yeah. and 80s. Was not a fan of Father Ted. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, anyway, so this basically sets in motion the rest of the movie of Denzel Washington going on. Like action set piece by action set piece, revenge seat, like gruesome revenge by gruesome revenge, trying to get to whoever this character, the voice, the the man kidnapper is. Mm. Should also be noted that the negotiator who set up the original trade with the Ramos family and the kidnappers is is Ramos's attorney, Jordan mm. Kalfas, an American, played by we have not brought him up yet. Mickey Rourke. Uh, How good was it to see Mickey Rourke here? It, it was nice. And he's like, and he knew it. It's not like he had like the biggest role or the flashiest yeah. role, but he made he made a meal of it. It was just like it, it's just like it was like this added casting touch. Like, oh wow, he's here. And so by this point, in Mickey's career, he was like full on straight to video mm-hmm. universe. The combination of him being an incredibly difficult, abusive person with becoming a boxer again in his late 30s, in the 90s, which utterly annihilated his face, Mm. had put quite a damper on the career of Mickey Rourke. Everyone and their mother knows that he was like a generational talent who, I mean, you watch Pope Village. You watch Rumblefish. You watch Diner. You're like, who is this guy? He's incredible. It might be one of the most uh, shocking examples of squandered. I think that there's some, there's like, it's even bigger than the uh, Jan Michael Vincent, who we talked about in the best of episode, in the uh, Discoveries episode. Yeah. There was like a moment where Mickey Rourke was in the A list. He had like a, like a brief moment where like, yeah, he would have been like on par with. if If he could have like handled it. We're talking a number one to number five guy yeah. in Hollywood. Like, he's a five-tool talent, you know? Mm-hmm. Utter hunk, totally talented, charismatic as hell. You yep. know, had it all. Didn't work out. Mm-mm. We know that. 
we know the story. And but this was like the first time he had been cast in kind of a um, mainstream movie in ages. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they took a swing on him in this, and he's also in Domino. And this led to a couple years later, him being in the wrestler, uh, which for a brief moment, <laughs> you know, brought him back. He was is... he was there, and yeah. but he's he's you know. We are not all Denzel Washington who can kind of maintain. We are not all Meryl Streep who can maintain and hold it together in the face of fame and all these kind of things. And, you know, it doesn't seem like he was, you know, he seems as oddball as ever Mm. today. And he's definitely not getting cast in major Hollywood movies at this point. Yeah, he's kind of in like the geezer teaser zone right now a little bit, isn't he? Yeah. 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 Regardless, it's you know, good to see him. Should be noted, you have brought up the word aesthetics. It's a good time to talk about the aesthetics of this movie. Oh, yeah. So, Tony Scott had been dabbling. We talked a little bit about it with the fan. We talked a little bit about it with Enemy of the State. Talked a little, little bit about it with Spy Game. In kind of this maximalist approach. Highly saturated cinema. Different, spe- different camera speeds, different film stocks, different types of cameras. All the, and this movie is kind of the what if we did it for the entire way through instead mm-hmm. of for these action scenes it's all heightened the editing is clipped this movie had multiple editors and the reason why the main editor name was Christian Wagner who worked with Tony on a bunch but Tony wanted to bring in people for specific sequences to edit oh. this movie um, in particular the action scene in particular the action sequences in particular like the Denzel Washington when he's got the gun to his head scene was is a very impressionistic sequence as well and he wanted to really push the envelope in all of the stylistic choices that he'd been experimenting with in his commercial work and in his previous cinematic work to really put together an ultimate statement you know, we can talk about Crimson Tide. We can talk about Top Gun as being like very stylish, but they kind of still don't work in this other world. They still work in a grounded Hollywood action movie. So right. Men on Fire is trying for something more elevated mm-hmm. stylistically. And this yeah. even comes down to putting text on the screen in weird spots that are not subtitled, just like stating like facts about what's happening in the movie at times all the way to the end of the movie we'll, we'll let's save the final card yeah. that is displayed for when we get to the end of this movie right right, right. but even this the kidnap sequence is shots upon shots upon shots mm-hmm. every type of camera speed is happening in it he's superimposing different angles on top of different angles all to give you an impression of the chaos of the moment, I think. Yeah, it is and like the intensity um, of the moment. It's all about emotion in the, all of these choices, but they are maximalist choices. Well, and even like um, in the first, there's like a sequence um, when Denzel is like, I think, first driving uh, Dakota mm-hmm. to school where it feels like there could potentially be a um it's the scene with like the clown guy who's like wiping the yeah. window and a dude juggling and like he does such a good job of um illustrating what it's like to be someone who has to be constantly 
vigilant and paranoid. Like you really feel like the position that Washington is in is like the world is like out to get him at all times, mm-hmm. which I think is like the um, is uh beneficial for that first you know 40 or 50 minutes of the film yeah 100 percent. and i remember at the time critics thought he had taken it too far mm. that it was way too over the top in silence just too much going on kind of without realizing i think that tony was actually quite onto something mm. um i think the interesting thing is too it was noted in uh, larry taylor's book uh paul greengrass's born supremacy came out four months later Oh well, and the kind of way Paul Greengrass shoots Born Supremacy in put in tandem with Man on Fire, and I think the following years Casino Royale in two thousand five set the tone actually for how action movies were designed and put together in fight sequences and the like the visceral level of violence and that kind of thing built on this. And I don't, and I think Man on Fire is actually ahead of its time. In the way, thing, way, way things were going in its aesthetics, but I love the fact that he's going for it. It feels like an art film because of it. It feels like more than just a rote action movie. Yeah, it feels well, and it feels like there are moments that feel like totally sublime, and there are mm-hmm. moments that feel the antithesis of sublime. That feel just entirely like yeah, just bereft of joy. And, and or that good. gets to <laughs> kind of crease, creases, increasing, increasy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a level of violence that he is netting out on the perpetrators of this crime um, the initial one is enough where he is like is chopping off fingers to get answers and oh, using man. a car cigarette lighter to cauterize wounds mm-hmm. and then just dropping the car off of a fucking cliff yeah it's like bye bye <laughs> bye bye and his willingness to like which leads to again like his next stage of it, he goes to this club mm-hmm. to find guys. This club sequence is like jaw-dropping, man. It is insane. Like the amount of extras and the way it's shot, it's like it. it's like, the only one I think of is like the collateral one. It was the only one that was reminding me of. Yeah, it is like, yeah, I would say that the collateral one, well, and there's like a moment too, spoiler alert, there's like a moment where like it's very clear that Denzel Washington has rigged the club to explode. And you think this guy is going to just blow up a hundred innocent people. (laughs) But like, it is just so wild. And they blow up this entire block basically. But, and the club revelers are outside like dancing to it. And it's just like the visual elements are like both Jenna. Like, can you believe this? This is thrilling. This yeah. is like everything you want. And it's just, it is maximalism, but taken to, like like you said, almost sublime levels. Yeah. And this, of course, leads to he discovers that the drop between the kidnappers and the Ramos family was in the, there's a fix to mm-hmm. start off with. The guy who is like the lead hostage negotiator is the dirtiest of them all. He's like one of the leaders of La Hermana Dad. When the um, the voice says that we're going to kill her, I mm-hmm. thought Rada Mitchell's reaction when she starts slapping cops Ooh. was like awesome and so was... authentic and so like real. Like it was like, yes, 
She's not fucking cool about it. She's no. pissed. She's upset. Like, of course she's gonna fucking hit these losers who didn't get the job done. She does a great job of like, I would be yeah, she yeah. is like a pissed. Uh, like a, yeah, pissed and uh, like and I would be like uh, yeah, she's like a, a hot mess in the yeah. way that you would be a hot mess if you in were that in that situation. situation. Yeah, yeah it's, like, it's, it's it's like it's like it's it's not grounded because it shouldn't be grounded. Yeah, you're yeah, exactly. You're you're not in real life that isn't a grounded situation. No. And <laughs> yeah, so you've lost your grounding. What they find out is that it seems like the this cop is dirty. So Denzel Washington fucking kidnaps him, lays out all this stuff in front of him to get answers. He goes, you know what this is? You know what this is? You know what this is? Mm-hmm. It's a device to shove a bomb, to smuggle a bomb, usually to smuggle drugs. Shovel, smuggle a bomb up someone's ass. Denzel Washington has shoved a bomb up this guy's ass. And if he doesn't get the answer, he's going like, to blow him up. He gets the answer. Guess what Denzel Washington does? Blows this guy up anyway. Denzel Washington gets to do a badass action star. No, I'm not looking at that explosion that's going on behind me. I don't care. Like, what expl- I don't care. What ex- yeah. What, what explosion? explosion? Yeah. It's huge. It's underneath a freeway overpass. He does not give a shit. That's like a very public setting. He's blowing up cops. Like high ranking. Oh, should note too, like... They're like, oh, he's more protected than the president of Mexico. Not a huge issue for John no, Creasy. Because he's like the archangel of death. He's just yeah. a, he's, a, he's an entity at this point. Every set piece is just getting bigger and bolder and crazier as this movie mm-hmm. progresses. Again, it's like Tony is like, finally, it's like everything is just like coming together. Like Ooh. all of every, all of his interests, all of his perversions, all of his skills, and with the right star at the helm of it, mm-hmm. it's all coming together. And one thing Larry Taylor notes too, which is really important here, mm-hmm. if you want to argue True Romance is Tony's best movie prior to this, which I think you could. Yeah, I think so. The issue is, it's a shared best. Tony's yeah. like locked to Quentin Tarantino's script. The one of the reasons why it sings is Quentin. And Brian Helg on the script is really, really good. It's solid, mm-hmm. but it's malleable. Tony yeah. can like design it and mold it to his needs. Tarantino's script is not was not fudging. Tony had to execute Tarantino's script, whereas mm-hmm. this one he could do. A lot of his magic tricks. Yeah, because like the, here's the like the aesthetic that doesn't come from the script. The casting yeah. of Walken doesn't come from the script. Like yeah, mm-hmm. like all the yeah, like it. This is this is Tony's film. It yeah. is Tony's film. Absolutely. And so, what is discovered by this cop though is that holy shit, there was like actually no money there. It was all paper. What the hell? Where did the money go? <laughs> they gets led back to Mickey Rourke. Who seems dirty. But guess what? Mickey Rourke had his head fucking chopped off and he's in his swimming pool. Yeah, not doing well. Not doing well. (laughs) Which leads Denzel back to the Ramos family themselves. Oh, shit. And turns out, dummy Mark Anthony 
thought mm. he could do a, a faux kidnap scheme and then embezzle some of his own money to get them out of this because his dad, who mm. he got the company from, left it in shambles. Mm. Denzel figures it all out. Tells Rada Mitchell about it. They're very, clearly very upset with Mark Anthony. But Mark Anthony, as we know, has like a Catholic cathedral in his own house. So he's not very thrilled <laughs> yeah. with his, it is, his crimes. It, it is so, that is like a twist I didn't uh, expect, like that level of darkness. I was really happy she was not involved. I was really yes. concerned about that. Like, as like, because they were playing her kind of as a sexy trophy wife. For mm-hmm. the first portion of the movie. And the fact that she's just like a good mom. Mm-hmm. Was very important to me. As a viewer. It, you, like, you needed like some like. Mooring. We needed like yeah. someone. We needed Not like. Everyone some... could be dirty. Yeah. Exactly. Because it's like yeah. The whole world is just dirty. Then what's the point? Yeah. You need like one person who can be your frame of reference. Or else. Yeah. yeah. And, and then we kind of get that. The reporter character who helps Denzel along the way with some with some scoops Giancarlo Gianni and um, Christopher Walken are lovable scamps. Yeah. They're scampos. Yeah. They're classic but they're scamps. there to help. They're there to help. They're not bad guys. No. Yeah. I mean, well, Christopher Walken at one point was probably a bad guy, but now well, he's still... I mean, they're, I guess like they're not bad guys within the context of what needs to get done in this story. Right. right yeah. Right. Like, cause I think both of them, I mean, Giancarlo Gianni is probably a dirty cop. Like oh for sure a hundred percent. So they find out then. So Denzel Washington leaves a gun with one bullet for Mark Anthony mm-hmm. to shoot him. He kills himself. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This movie's getting grave, man. Dark, yeah. It, dark, dark. Hello, darkness. Yeah, <laughs> we are like it is. Yeah, we're. It's getting rough, man. It's getting rough. It's a rough one. All right, so. Creasy is now closing in, closing in on the head honchos Mm -hmm. of the syndicate. He gets the right, he figures out the name of a brother of the voice character, tracks him down. They get into a shootout and Creasy's hit again in the chest again. Creasy's like, also wearing a very like funny like jumpsuit jacket, like with like mm-hmm. the num- like, num- like number twenty four or twenty three. They're like Michael Jordan's number on it or something like that. <laughs> His getup is a little funny at the end. Yeah, so he's got some he's- wild shirts. Like it seems like Christopher Walken was like letting him borrow clothes <laughs> at one point. <laughs> yeah, come into my uh, Good. my closet. Creasy, I've pick. got some wonderful Acapulco shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Tracy finally gets to talk to the voice character and we get the big reveal. Hmm. Do you think I'm stupid, Creasy? Why would I lose any leverage? She's not dead. I still have her. He wants proof of it. What's the name of her teddy bear? Creasy bear. Oh, no. She's alive. Whoa. Whoa. Creasy's hurt. They set up a trade, a deal, one mm. life for another. Creasy is going to bring the brother and himself back mm. to get the in a trade for the little girl. But we know Creasy is really hurt. Mm-hmm. So they meet up at this 
Oh, he brings Rada Mitchell with him for the handoff. Mm -hmm. They end up at this like amazing location, this bridge. It looks great. It looks so good. This like um they're more uh, more of a rural type place. Mm -hmm. And they're gonna cross this bridge, they're gonna do the handoff. Classic thing we've seen in a million movies. Mm -hmm. They get there, they pull up, Creasy's walking the bridge with the brother. Young Dakota gets out of the car. <laughs> Dude, I looked over at Jen. Both of us had like tears in our eyes. <laughs> We're, like, and I was like, it's earned. They earned yeah. this reunion. So satisfying. It is so satisfying. He did it. Like, and they share this big hug. We see that he is genuinely moved to get her back. And it, it you, you text me, you think this is one of his best It is one of Denzel Washington's yes! best performances in this movie. He's incredible in this movie. It's it's so crazy too, because like for a good portion of this movie, he's playing essentially like a Terminator. Yeah. And he still is able to like pull off the emotional beats. And I read it's, that it's... they um they try to shoot this movie mostly in continuity, which is oh, wow. doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. And um that off camera, Denzel stayed away from her. And in the same vein that Crazy until he warmed up to her and then he started hanging out with her and kind of coaching her on set. You could feel it. You could feel that that stupid actor technique worked. Yeah, there was a, there's a legit connection. And so I just read they're shooting the Equalizer Part 3 in Italy right now. Antoine Fuqua was directing it. Denzel Washington is back for Part 3. Guess who his main co-star is? Dakota Fanning. They're Let's reuniting go. it. Let's go. I want to see Equalizer yeah. 3. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, man. And they're hugged, but he knows he has to walk away. He goes, go see your mom. She's crying. We're crying. Everybody's crying. We're He's crying. He's got tears in his eyes. Yeah. And you're just like, Tony, you've done it. You've got us the most satisfying movie imaginable. It, everything works. She yeah. runs, gets in the arms of her mom. I'm feeling it there too. I'm happy to see them reunited. They get in the car. Denzel Washington gets into the car with the bad guys. We know the way these things work. He's going to be executed. But luckily for Creasy, not as lucky for the bad guys, but the hell with them. Yeah, we don't Creasy, care. Creasy bleeds out and dies in the car. Yeah, well, it's like his purpose was fulfilled. His purpose was fulfilled, baby. It's great. Yeah. And there's like you, a You know a what it also reminds me of? What? Children of Men. Yes, man. Another one. Another one. And yet everyone loves Children of Men. That's an Academy movie. Nobody talks about Man on Fire. Bring back the man love for Man on Fire. There's a shot that's so almost brought a tear to my eye where like it's like he's in the car and you see like a fucking volcano. There's oh, like and that was really going off. That was a real thing that they captured in the moment. They almost lost the day because there was a volcano going off in the background. Oh, man. Awesome. Awesome. So cool. And he's been given the St. Jude medal earlier in the movie. Yep. Saint of uh, what, Saint of uh, Lost Souls. Lost Causes. Yeah, Lost Souls. Lost yeah. Causes. He's been holding on to that the entire time. That's been his good luck charm. He drops it in his, out of his bloody hands. Yep. But he's saved. Somehow he has found redemption. 
through this. Yeah. Despite all of his previous crimes, because we buy it. Because we bought everything. They laid the groundwork. Yep. It works perfectly. And then Tony Scott lays out his coup de gras. Actually, two. He has two coup de gras. <laughs> yeah, two de gras. Yeah. Two de gras. John W. Creasy, 1950-something to 2004. <laughs> the text is on the screen. He's not a real person. He's a fictional fucking character. Like, like, wait a minute. Is this a real guy? Did this happen? It's <laughs> more tar vibes. Like, yeah. <laughs> Did we just tar again? But and it's like, what? Like, But it is the icing on the cake in this incredible, over-the-top movie of pure insane emotion and visceral visceral qualities. Then they cut to black and white for a postscript Giancarlo Gianni just assassinating the voice. Why not? They're oh. like, like have, you know, it's like in some movies I, that would be annoying. In this movie, it's like a the, the maraschino cherry on top of the perfect Sunday. They've earned getting the voice just like and it's I love how unceremonious it is. Like there's yeah. no there's no like weight really given to it. It's just like this guy got shot by like a fifth, the fifth lead character in the movie. Yeah. The end. The end. <laughs> That's and all he needs. The card to end all cards. Thank you to the people of Mexico City, a truly wonderful and beautiful place. Bravo, <laughs> Tony. Really magnifique. <laughs> Directed by Tony Scott. Cut to the credits. If we haven't, I think, I hope we have done a good job in selling this movie to anyone who has not seen it before. Watch uh, this movie. It's good. It. it is really, really good. And I do think it is an example of personal filmmaking. I think that these themes, the themes of redemption, the themes of um, um, revenge, the themes mm. of lost souls, the themes of family, children, mm-hmm. are incredibly personal to Tony Scott, who obviously his the way the way he left this world kind of hangs over how well we think we know him mm-hmm. as an artist and the kind of mysterious nature of who he is. His brother has continued to live and give wild interviews on Mark Maron. Yeah. We, we know him. We kind of, I think we, and I think it's a combination of Tony Scott, you know, his tragic ending and the fact that there's not a lot of scholarship on Tony Scott. He's not an Academy Award. He was not an Academy Award guy. He's not a critical studies guy, even though I think mm-hmm. actually he could be a critical yeah. studies guy. I think there's a lot to there's a lot to plumb. Like it's mm-hmm. very it's uh yeah. There's the, a lot the, of hidden depths to his work mm-hmm. that I don't think because he was interested in servicing the audience too. Mm-hmm. So um you could look at these as pure entertainments, but mm. I think there's more going on here. And I think man on fire is like a huge pillar in understanding mm. the work of Tony Scott and a masterpiece. I think it's, a, yeah. I think it's, his, I think it's his masterpiece. I think it sums up everything he does. I think that maybe Crimson Tide or unstoppable are more purely satisfying mm-hmm. endeavors like is like genre yarns and unstoppable is like, and we'll get to it. And I can't wait almost to almost talk about it in this way. It's like, 
What a last movie. Satisfying happy ending. Last movie. Oh, for sure. What a great, it's a great way to, you're leaving on top. It's a very, yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Oh, I mean, for I sure. God, he would have had like another 10 movies in him. That, that's like truly the sad thing is like, I think he would have gotten that Oscar and it's a bummer that he didn't, because like, it's really cool that after his tragic passing that people have kind of rediscovered his work. Yeah, and, like, and this is a key, key figure in that kind of reevaluation. Yeah. And it's like, and I hate the fucking, what's a vulgar auteur or whatever. Yeah. And I get that there's like a value to it. Dude's a fucking auteur. Like yeah. you, you can drop the vulgar, like man of fire. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Just because it's not about like, and it kind of is, it's about the big themes of life. Not necessarily like the, of the moment, whatever's on, whatever MSNBC is talking about themes of life. Yeah. Like, well, well, and it's like finding your humanity in the grimmest of situation. That's like a real deep, that's deep shit. That's very, uh, too, this is what makes a movie lasting and not of the moment is kind of, this is a classical theme that's mm-hmm. happening here. And oh, yeah. right actor, right script, right actors. Cause Dakota Fanning matters just as much as Don, um, Denzel Washington, I think in yes. the success of this movie. So, like we mentioned, it opened April 23rd, 2004. Kind of a early summer picture. Opened mm-hmm. number one at the box office. Ended up earning $77 million in North America and $52 million internationally on a, for a total of around $130 million on a 60 to $70 million production budget um all right, all right. 100, 123 million on dvd and vhs in the u.s um tidy sum there back in those days when that was a major factor in yeah. the success of these movies and i you know i mean you know probably had a full wall at hollywood video when it came out and, oh this is a hundred percent of hollywood video yeah, like yeah. yeah and um so not a not a, not a home run at the box office, but good enough. Did well. Mm-hmm. And solidifies the Tony Scott Denzel Washington relationship that is going to be a key factor in our story to come. Mm-hmm. 38% on Rotten Tomatoes, though. Uh, Get out of here! Was not liked by the critics in the moment. Uh, consensus was Man on Fire starts out well, but the over-the-top but goes over the top in the violent second half. Um, yeah, generally mixed. Um, in retrospect, it felt that U.S. critics kind of looked at its surface, surface as an ultra-violent, vigilante, death wish type movie. Yeah. Um, uh, one critic says, Paul Davies argued, most critics missed that he is not taking pleasure in the revenge that it is that there is does not like what he's doing necessarily but it is more of a mission like a godly mission yeah he is possessed he is a creature possessed it is he is a creature possessed and i think that again this is a movie that has really found its legs over time um film twitter this is a beloved movie in kind of the more modern viewings of tony scott movies almost more so than some of his earlier gems like people don't talk about enemy of the state or even crimson tide as much as they talk Mm -hmm. about man on fire 
Uh, Joe, AJ Quinnell uh, liked it, mainly because they used many of the book's lines. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, yeah, he felt um, he he felt it was a success. Um, That's nice. Yeah, uh, but overall, you know, the movie was not. Oh, um, I'll should be noted that Trent Reznor was listed as a musical consultant on this. Yeah, film. <laughs> you can. Yeah, he, he's yeah. there. Henry Gregson Williams did the score. Um, definitely of the definitely of that Hans Zimmer uh, mm -hmm. school. Uh, there was a Hindi remake of oh. Man on Fire in two thousand five as well, which could be I, fun. Yeah, would, I could see that being interesting. Yeah, overall though. May not have been known in its time. I hope Tony Scott in his lifetime heard how many people really were moved and found that this is a major league movie. Mm. Yeah, um, because I hope so. Because this is a major movie of its yeah. of its type. Yeah. The highest level of this kind of movie, I would argue. <laughs> And aesthetically, a real groundbreaking, real boundary-pushing movie on top of that with a Titanic-leading performance from Denzel Washington. This, Yeah, this is a director uh, at one of his peaks, if not his peak. And I think it's Denzel Washington. At what, I feel like this movie kind of solidifies, uh, even though it probably didn't get like... Um, the same love as like Training Day. I think like the 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 one two punch of this and Training Day kind of like solidified Denzel Washington as like the kind of go to you know uh, adult action film guy for like the next mm -hmm. like if you needed like a movie that wasn't like um, an Iron Man or a Star Lord floating around and you just wanted like a dude with a gun with a you know uh, I think purpose or whatever. It, it goes to show that Denzel Washington. This is shows why he is one of the absolute you know all-time screen actors and movie stars yeah he can do a fences he can do a flight or he can do a training day or a man on fire or something as like slight as the spike lee inside man movie but that's still Every single time out. I mean, we we're talking about the Equalizer three. There's no reason we should be excited about the Equalizer Part three, but we are. Yeah, because there's gonna because he's in it, and he's gonna be bringing the heat as he does every single time out. And I mean, he did that Cohen brother, the Joel Cohen Macbeth. Yeah, and he was man. phenomenal and probably overlooked. Oh, because he is. Because we've gotten to the point where we're almost like taken for granted. Yeah, he it is crazy. He is probably the most like and I can't believe I'm saying this about Denzel Washington of all people, but like if you're looking at like A-list celebrities, he's like the most undervalued under like it's crazy that he's not like um he should be the, it's almost like he should be the one that people go to first as opposed to Leo or something. Also, like he's, um every one of his movies makes money. He true. rarely misses it bringing back the investment. Yeah, he gets the job done. He gets the job. Like Greasy, he gets the job done, man. Yeah. And like, it's movie rules. It's awesome. And man, I'm so happy 
we watched it for this. I I gotta say though, as we move forward here, I'm like, I felt a little melancholy. Who at the end of this movie? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like we're running a little low on Tony's. Yeah, it's it's a bummer. We're and... heading towards the yeah. We're on the la la the last couple Tonys. Yeah, and these are so exciting. Mm -hmm. And his consistency is so like, even like the fan, which is all over the place, or Spy Game, which might be a little blander, mm -hmm. still have so many joys. Yeah, that. and those are his weak. Those are like weaker, like the good ones, like Enemy of the State, is a blast. Oh, it's a treat. Yeah, like he. Well, and what's great about Tony Scott is you know he has such an interesting aesthetic. He has such a. Um, he has such a great um voice as a filmmaker yeah. that even his lesser films are still gonna have interesting choices. Absolutely. And he can't say that. Yeah, he can't say that about a lot of other filmmakers in similar no. positions. And so he's it's... Not, and none of his movies are a slog. No, like they're like, all he, like, enjoyable, like yeah, top I, to watch. I can watch the fan. I can a hundred percent. Yeah, that's a fun today. It's, it's, I can watch it yeah. today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> even like, and it's not a great movie, but it's fun. It's like silly. I like. Yeah. It's incredible. He's an incredible so, director. As we mentioned, he seems to be onto something here. His aesthetics, mm -hmm. he seems to be finding a new realm here with this one. Heading into you know, his next movie. Interesting. Okay. His next movie is 2005's Domino, which we Ooh. will be covering in a short period of time. But I just discovered... Wow. In the moment, he did this movie called a short, short, silent film called Asian Orange in November of 2004 for Amazon. Like what? an early Amazon thing. And folks, this is like in real time. We'll watch it. Yeah, we'll we're tell doing you about it. it. All right. So this is a good, 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 good gateway into this is not even in the damn Tony Scott, a filmmaker on Firebook. So. I'm excited for Agent Orange. It's a silent film starring a supermodel. <laughs> sounds right. Sounds about right. All in. All in. So, next week, we are bringing it to you finally, folks. We're a little late, but we had to catch up a bit. Mm -hmm. We're going to be doing our top films of 2022. Oh, always, yeah. a, always a pleasure. That episode, we're going to be taking a quick little breather from the format to, to get into, you know, we just talk about Tar, but doesn't make either of our lists. Ooh. Who's to say? We know we, you know, we like Avatar, but doesn't make any of our lists. Uh, are we going to have RRR on our lists? Are we? Tune in to find I don't out. Know. We R know we're, we know, you know, we're hashtag Bardo boys, but Bardo, false chronicle of a handful of truths. Does that make the list? Wait and see. For next Tuesday's episode. The week after that, we're continuing into an interesting path. So, in the early 2000s, folks, you might not remember this. If you bought a BMW, which I didn't, Patrick, I assume you didn't. No, I would, it'd be cool. I'd be so down. Yeah. Cool. I would have loved yeah. it. Give me, a BMW, give me a BMW in 2000. Please, some listeners, give me a BMW. In two, go back in time in 2003, give me a BMW. Yeah. Forget but, about an 11. Yeah. Give me, give me a BMW. Like, I don't know if they were like just money was just growing on trees. I don't know. BMW decided that it was a would be a worthwhile effort 
to hire a ton of top-level auteurist filmmakers to make short films called the uh, in a series called The Hire, starring the burgeoning British superstar Clive Owen. Ooh. They put DVDs of these short films in the glove box of your brand new BMW upon purchase. Man. We're going to watch them all because Tony Scott has one in there called Beat the Devil starring James Brown and Gary Oldman. And we are curious about this early 2000s curio. Nonetheless, Wong Kar Wai, John Woo, bunch of people are involved in making these. John Frankenheimer. Yeah. <laughs> they are all, Patrick verified it last night for us. They are all on YouTube. So you don't have to buy a BMW or scrounge, yeah. up, a, <laughs> scrounge up some DVD that came with a BMW. Although that would be fun. If you want to go on eBay, I'm sure you could find it. Um, they're on YouTube. We're going to take a look in two weeks time. We're going to take a look at the entire hire series. In particular, we're going to look at Tony's contribution but we're going to talk about the entire thing the weird time that was this post 9-11 movie world the cash that was floating around and kind of maybe and probably talk about the phenomenon of clive owen in this particular period of time and anything else that kind of pops to our mind in this it's going to be kind of a random episode i think it's going to be really fun this was a patrick idea and i I like it a lot i'm like yeah i'm excited because it's just like um it's such a weird like, and it, you know, and you get, like, there's a part of me that understands it, because I feel like BMW is like, yeah, you know what, we're a classy company. We're going to come with, like, the these, like, filmmakers that aren't, like, you know, they're, it's not like Sean Levy and, uh, you know, or even, like, a Michael Bay. Like, they they went to, like, the upper echelons. Yeah, I mean, like, Wonka, why made them? And they must have just, like, drove a brain truck worth of cash to oh, their houses to do this. Like, for sure. This pay for a year of, the like, Tony Scott's life. Yeah. Oh, well, and also, they're written by the guy who did Seven. All the oh, yeah. higher movies. Yeah. Andrew, Andrew Kevin Walker? Yes, he wrote okay. them all. Well, I'm is... excited. This is going yeah. to be a real like wild one. I'm, I'm excited for that. Then the week after that, we've pushed it one week. I know we probably have some listeners who are excited mm. for us to get into Black Hawk Down. Um, we will, though, talk about that. Oh, yeah. The week after that. Um, give you time to watch it. But this was a really fun one. If you haven't seen it, check out Man on Fire. It gets a Academy Academy seal of approval. Oh, man. The yeah, coveted but... seal of approval. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two thumbs up, baby. Two thumbs up on Man on Fire. So next week, we'll see you for the top films of 2022. Patrick, I assume Free Guy? Oh, yeah. Free Guy, number one. Uh, number two, <laughs> Sonic... I don't think Free Guy was. I think Free Guy still haunts Patrick. Yo, I hate easily the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Devil movie. Get out of here. Ryan Reynolds. So for Patrick, I'm done. We will see you next week. Free Guy, but at what cost? What cost? His his, his art is death. (laughs) The Free Guy is artist. His art is death. (laughs) He's painting his masterpiece. (laughs) 